Welcome to Corestruction, the podcast of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. By the time the first shovels break ground on a new civil works or military construction venture, the Corps of Engineers has already devoted thousands of hours into studying, planning, designing, and contracting the project. Callie Egan, the Regional Acquisition Program Manager at Southwestern Division, focuses on strategies and technical integration. She works with districts to improve engineering and construction activities. Callie's a true success story and model core employee. She grew up between Texas and Oklahoma. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from Oklahoma State University and a Master of Science in Engineering and Technology Management from OSU. Callie's career with the Corps began in 2001. She started as a student intern and by 2015, had risen to the Deputy Chief of Engineering and Construction Division at the Tulsa District. In 2015, she left Tulsa to return to Texas and spent two years working in the private sector, supporting local, state, and federal projects. Thanks for joining us, Callie. Hey, good morning. It's good to be here. So, um, wow, yeah, I, you were you were here, I guess the last time I saw you, it's been, it's been a couple years, I think, since the last time I saw you, actually. When was the last time you were in Tulsa? I mean, for work. Nancy, for work. I was going to say Nancy Crenshaw's retirement ceremony. Okay. I made the trip back there. Yeah. When when you when you left, um, you spent those two years in in the private sector. Did you did you feel a, a like a calling to return? Was it or what 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 made you decide to return to the core? Well, in 2015, uh, you know, probably one of the hardest decisions I made was was to leave, was to leave the district. Um, my husband's company was was relocating him to Houston, and and so it was it was one of those family life decisions that that we had to make. So that that's the decision that led me to to leave the core and, and go into private private industry, and it, it was a really good experience. I, I learned a lot, but then I also went through Hurricane Harvey. And, you know, was sitting there at my table working during that time, watching the Corps of Engineers on, on the news. They were flood fighting. Uh, they, were, they were responding to that event. And uh, not too long after that, the governor's report came out of the post-Hurricane Harvey projects for the state. And at the bottom of every one of those projects, it said the Corps of Engineers, the Corps of Engineers, the Corps of Engineers. And it just, I, I wanted to be a part of that. I missed the Corps. And, and it it just gave me the opportunity to come back and be part of that program. So while you were, while you were seeing that on the news, did, did you ever do any deployments while you were uh, for, for like power team or anything or the emergency management stuff? I, I didn't because my, my kids were little. Uh, I, I was always the one that, that stayed back and, and took on the additional work to cover for the, the people deployed. Yeah, that's very important because when people are downrange, it is so important to have people who, who are there, like, like giving you the, the, the support you need. That's definitely true. What skills from the private sector do you think you gained or what, what experience, what was most beneficial about that? So, you know, from a, just a fundamental engineering skills, you know, it's, it's pretty comparable between the core and, and private, private industry. Uh, but but I did 
there were a few things. Uh, the, the first thing is, you know, coming from the core to private industry, you know, I, I didn't have the awareness of just some of the software platforms that private industry uses to work across geographic boundaries, even companies uh, that, that allow them to collaborate uh, during production and, and got to see a lot of their, their quality management processes and, and have some insight there. The other thing I learned was that the business development side and how they they form teaming arrangements, what motivates them to go after government contracts, what frustrates them to go after government contracts, and 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 got to play in that, got to be the one, you know, responding to these government opportunities and, and see, you know, some of that. And the third thing, and it really wasn't a skill, but it does impact uh, how, how I operate today, was I got to see how they perceive us. And, you know, I had one, one person tell me, and it was a few months after I started, they said, you know, hey, you, you've really transitioned pretty easily from government to private sector. You know, I'm surprised. And, and I didn't know whether to take that uh, as a compliment or or be a little bit offended, uh, but you know there's there's just perception and and you know perception is is reality. So even today, how how I engage with industry is is really just to open up that curtain a little bit more, let them see, you know, some of the things that we're doing or the progress or the hurdles we're trying to overcome, so so that they can see because the pace and the pressure and the the stress, you know, they're they're very similar. But, you know, I let them see that a little bit, a little bit more than maybe I used to. Is, is there something specifically that they, they tend to have a, a, a problem with in terms of bidding for contracts or, or working with us, sorry, or, or working with us that, that, that we are trying to fix for them that you, that you're aware of? Well, for them, I think there's. For, uh, well, for us, there's this huge administrative burden of just the, the process and, and there's checks and balances, you know, there's regulations out there we have to follow. There's a lot of eyes on things, especially when we're trying to do things a little bit different and it, it can slow things down. And so from their perspective, when they don't hear anything, um, that that's the biggest frustration from them because they're trying to uh, formulate their teams. It may be a, a small business set aside. It may be a woman-owned set aside. It may be unrestricted. We may be doing one. We may be doing three. So how many opportunities there may be for them to team increases their their probability of, of win because it, it's a go-no-go no go decision. It's a, an investment they're making based upon a business decision of their probability of success. And so the more we can communicate with them, to give them insight into that, the more advance notice we give them uh, to, to develop those those teams and be ready to respond. So, uh, well, we we talked about the you talked about why you why you decided to can't come back. Um, what's the main project you're working on now, and what's the biggest challenge associated with it? So, so I mentioned that I came back to the core because I, I wanted to work supplemental and I, and I did for, for three years more from, from the regional side where, you know, I'm supporting the districts and various, uh, various 
uh, needs. But last year, I've had the opportunity uh, to spend most of the year in a detail working directly for the Galveston District Commander and, and got to reassess the, the program management office and the structure of that and, and the leadership there and to, to reorganize how we were managing that program. The second side of that was that I had the chance to also just challenge the the way we were planning to to deliver the the program and in one project in particular brand new 26 27 mile levy uh, and flood wall system a lot of risk and the feedback we were getting from industry was hey you know we you guys operate in this lump sum firm fixed price environment where you put all the risk on construction um, you need to start you know build figuring out ways to to better share the risk. And when you look at private industry and some of their big infrastructure programs, they, they do. They have different different arrangements that are different from how we've traditionally delivered our projects. And so we did. We reformulated one of our, our delivery strategies and, and the district is actually on the on the cutting edge of of core civil works that maybe it, it would be the model or the template for other teams across the enterprise uh, to consider. And now that I'm back at the region, you know, taking that even into to a broader view of, of not just construction, not just civil works, but but also one um, our architect engineering contracts for those large projects that between zero and 35% design, they're evolving. The requirements aren't black and white or, or clear where we can just articulate this, this perfect scope that's not gonna change on, on day two. So even bringing in some of those different ways of, of delivering and incentivizing the engineering contracts, and then also even across all of our programs, including military construction, uh, different ways that we can deal with some of the market volatility that that we're even seeing today, so that you know we're we're, we're keeping uh, industry interest into pursuing these opportunities and providing proposals. Are are you noticing um, with with the industry, with the market, the, the way things are changing with products being not necessarily as available as they normally would be, has, has, does, has that put a, a burden on, on contractors that you've noticed? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're trying to do, um, you know, what, what we can, you know, if, if there's a way that, that we can separate out a material item and go ahead and say, purchase, you know, what you're going to need for this next year, um, we're also looking at, you know, a more um, liberal use of uh, the economic price adjustment contractual clause, where if there is something like structural steel or something that we can tie to a cost index, maybe that would take, you know, some of that risk off, off the contractors where they're not scared, scared away. And, you know, my other concern, too, is even small businesses that have contracts with us right now, well, gas is, you know, they, they can't absorb a, a buck 50 extra in gas right now. And, and we're not, we're not in the business to put businesses out of business. So uh, it's just going to require us to, to think differently and, and hopefully things settle down uh, sooner rather than later. I spoke with someone who used to work with you, work for you when you were here. And they said, the thing about Callie is that she's really good at translating concerns that engineers and technical people have into understandable language for the customers. Um, 
and and communicating that well. Have you ever, has anyone ever told you that, that you worked with here at the core or maybe <laughs> even in private sector? Not that, not that directly. Uh, you know, what, what I would, what I was always get was, you know, hey, you're, you know, you're kind of an atypical engineer. And, and I think a lot of that, I, I've had one foot on the technical side and one foot on more of the, the project and, and program management side, because I, I really enjoy uh, the, the strategy. And, and I know I, I drive our engineers crazy, but in, in a lot of the, these projects are, are complex. You know, it's not easy. That's that's why they need us. That's why we need industry. And, and sometimes you just got to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture. You know, if there's a problem, what actions do we take to get to a solution? If, if there's a risk, what's the potential impact and how, how do we prepare for that? Uh, it, it reminds me of a, an example um, that I ran into late last year where tons of utilities were impacting this project, tons of them. And, and, and the team in-house and, and, and our, our uh, engineering contractor, they were just getting wrapped around who was responsible for these utilities? You know, whose whose job was it to figure out what needed to be done with these utilities? And and I said, time out. Let, let's get around the table, eyeball to eyeball, and let's look at these these issues. What what is the best engineering solution? Let's not worry about who who's in charge. But what's the, the the engineering solution? And we were dealing with stuff like there's a manhole that was within two feet of our ideal easement. It's like, well, does it make sense to move this two this manhole two feet or is it is it better to request a variance and so once we kind of went through and, and triaged those issues then the solution it, it was pretty easy to get to and understand who whose responsibility it was and it really clarified um you know just the the whole issue and, and how to move forward so you know that that's how i i like to look at things is, is really just not only inside but also taking a step back and and trying to um, you know, look at it from, you know, all sides. Yeah. How do you balance that between doing what, you know, because obviously if, if something takes less, if there's a cost or whether it's administrative cost of having to get something approved where it goes through a process, or if it's a financial cost where you're going to have to spend more money to uh, do something, where, do, where does that balance? How do you determine that return on investment for, for, I mean, are, are you doing the math in, sort of in terms of, well, labor-wise, it's going to cost this much time to have an engineer put together a, a request, and then that takes her off the job, or we might have to spend this much to move some dirt somewhere else. So how do you make that determination? It, it is a tricky balance. You know, it's a tricky balance of, you know, total cost of the project. Um, because there's certain, you know, one design condition could just drive your cost. Um, and then also, you know, what, what's the return on investment? If we stop and spend this much time to maybe rethink it, you know, what's, what's the potential payoff in the end? Knowing that too, you know, if we, if we spend too much time up front, you know, construction inflation, you know, may, may, you know, kick us on the back end. So it's just this delicate balance where every every situation is a little bit different. Uh, the risks are different, um, but you know the magic is just in the discussion with the team and hearing all sides of, of thought and uh, just just going 
going with what we feel like is, is the best approach after consideration of all those, um, all those elements. When we were talking about communicating um, that infor- communicating in a way that the customer can understand or that um, maybe people associated with the project can, can best understand um, our stakeholders. How do you develop that skill or do you, do you think it's something that can be developed or do you think it's something that just some people are more natural at it? What, what's your take on that? Oh, I, I absolutely think it, it can be developed. I think it, it takes um, just, just being able to, to see the strategy and, and just remember, you know, we're here to deliver projects and they're, they're not easy. And, uh, you know, my favorite, my favorite part of the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Regulations is in the very first chapter. And it, it says, you know, the absence of direction um, the team should take uh, as, you know, the ability to innovate and use good business judgment. If it's not prohibited by law or regulation or executive order, that we have, you know, the ability to, to think differently. So, you know, it's it's just an aspect of, of critical thinking where, you know, yeah, it, I may have done it this way the last 20 years, but that doesn't mean I need to spend the next 20 years doing it that way and challenge even my own personal bias or, or the assumptions I'm, I'm walking into and, and, you know, let the team feel comfortable too with, with, you know, challenging each other. So, so I think it's just developing that comfort where, where, um, you know, it's, yeah, two plus two needs to equal four, but, you know, there just may be different ways to get there. When you were the deputy chief of ENC, you did a lot of the groundwork in terms of standing up the dam safety production center. What was involved with that process? And you, you spent some time as the, the interim director, right? What was involved I did, in yeah. all that? Well, so the, the Corps of Engineers uh, across the enterprise, across their inventory of existing dams, had updated the risk assessments and, and the budgets that uh, were needed as part of that investment to, to uh, reduce the risk of of the, those structures and, and what their intended purpose was. And, and so there was an investment strategy. And, and that way we as the core could say, here's, here's what our priority is um, as far as that investment. And then also to Congress to say, if we get $500 million a year, here's what we do. If we get a billion dollars a year, here's what we can do. But when those projects were prioritized, what it did was it, it, it had a, like a geographic disparity between where the focus of those projects might be for the first five years and then, you know, 25 years into the future. So, you know, 43 districts across the Corps of Engineers can't maintain competency to do dam safety projects if they have a project one year and and another project 10 years later. So a task came out from from headquarters that caused us to look at that and, and assess, you know, how do we need to be structured in the future and, and for for southwestern division we regionalized that group and we basically took all of the people across our region that were working these large dam safety projects and put them under the umbrella of of the dam safety production center and what that allowed us to do was we had our, our subject matter experts but then also continue the pipeline of of new and younger engineers that are, are able to develop themselves to be a, a future subject matter expert which is more of a sustainable model. 
you know, that was 11 years ago. Um, it's still in existence today. Uh, I mentioned the detail I had down in Galveston district on the supplemental program. We are using those resources out of that dam safety production center, even on um, these levy projects because dams have soil and concrete and mechanical uh, components. Well, so do levees and flood walls and pump stations. So the skill set is, is pretty similar and, and they're an asset not only to our region, but also uh, across the core. Did now you did a lot of the organizational structure for that too, right? You were responsible for kind of setting that up and, or providing the, the recommendations on, on how it should be set up to the commander at the time. Right. It was, it was, I was working really uh, for, for two districts, having to keep the other two districts informed, but it was really for uh, also division. So for, from a career perspective, seeing how, uh, the process goes to set up a new organization that's across the region was was uh, you know very you know from from just an understanding um i, I was able to to lead that and and uh, work it through the process uh, but then also even just briefing leadership it was my first opportunity to brief senior leadership ship even after the uh, up to the regional level and then two you know just you know, Blackberry friendly weekly status reports that just kept them in, in the loop, you know, because, you know, they're, they're busy too, so that they could see the progress that that was being made or, or the, the challenges that, that we were having. But yes, from an administration perspective, got to set up an interim, um, an interim structure, a final structure, a transition plan, workload, workforce, uh, new positions. It, it was all of, all of the things, uh, um, Kind of under under one initiative. Now, you were you taking resources? You said you're taking resources from two districts and and sort of merging them for DSPC. Mm-hmm. Well, it was. You, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it was it was Tulsa District and Little Rock District were the predominant of of the resources, but that didn't negate the fact that you know some of the other districts had strong skill sets that that supported it. So so even though most came from those two districts, it was really a, a regional uh, regional group. Was was that a was that a delicate process because you're dealing where people are I don't want to say commanders are losing resources, but they're they're going to division and you're 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 pulling resources from two districts and other districts as well to 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 move to a develop uh, to move to a division level, did you have to walk sort of a, a, a fine line in, in making sure that every all the commanders' concerns were addressed so district commanders didn't feel like they were missing out or? It was, it was a delicate balance and it, it took, you know, we, we just went down there and, and we talked through, uh, you know, the plan and, and listen to the concerns and address the concerns where, where we could. But, but bottom line, the, the, the competency and the sustainability of an organization um, that, that had enough work to, uh, to develop, you know, that new talent, you know, that, that was the priority. Um, and, and everybody knew that. It, it was really just making sure that, you know, somebody that had an interest in being part of that, that we didn't miss them. So that vision was, 
they sort of, it was already, there was a lot of buy-in already with that vision before that process even, even started. Right. Yes. Gotcha. What, um, did you have a mentor early on in your career and who, who was it? I, I did it. Um, Sandy Egan and no relation. Um, she, she was a, a technical manager in the military design group. And when I was an intern, she took me under her wing and, and we traveled across the country uh, on the training barracks standardization program. Um, and then too, she, she was the technical manager over a lot of just military construction projects at Fort Seal, at Tinker Air Force Base. And I got to watch her uh, not only go through just the engineering contracting process and, and negotiate those, those contracts, but then also how she managed the design, how she partnered with these engineering companies. They, they'd run into problems. I got to see how you know, she worked the, those solutions. and and just really build and, and manage those uh, relationships. And so, you know, a lot of what she taught me and then also started giving me to do uh, to the point where then I, you know, was uh, was able to, to lead my own projects. But everything I know today, I, I really uh, trace back to just her mentorship, her guidance, and the time she spent just training training me. A lot is made today of mentorship and mentoring. You hear a lot about it. Um, when was your experience, you, you didn't, did you have to ask her or was it just something she, you said she just took you under her wing or, or did, was there a conversation about, Hey, I'm going to teach you all this stuff or did she just do it? She, she just do, she just did it. And, um, and, you know, there wasn't any formality uh, about it. And, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of people that that I would consider mentors, and to me, it's it's just having a, a relationship and a comfort with somebody that if I have a problem or or I need some advice, that I know that I can call them and and just talk. And um, you know, whether it was, you know, that there were there were other people that you know took took time uh teaching me the the documents and what goes into a contract depending upon what kind of contract it was to the point of we, we were talking last time i was in tulsa was was nancy crenshaw's retirement she uh from a human resource and just a a, a workforce management side um mentored me all throughout my career whether it was hot you know hiring me because <laughs> she did hire me to to being an early supervisor and and mentoring me through that and and the biggest thing I, I learned from her was taking care of people um, but but also you know holding people accountable and and there there's a balance there too and uh, you know that was something that that she would felt very strong about uh, and instilled in me as a young supervisor when you. You grew up professionally in the Corps, right? I guess that's probably, you started out as an intern and you spent, what, 14 years or so, um, got all the way up to Deputy Chief of Engineering and Construction Division. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty high level position here. Um, it's certainly a very important position here. 
but what have you, how have you seen things change in the core over the, over the time you've been in? Like, uh, I imagine when you, when you started, there weren't, there weren't as many female engineers. And now, um, I'm, I'm assuming there's, a, there's a significantly more than there were when you started. You were probably one of the, one of the only ones that were in your area when you first started, right? Yeah, it, when I when I first started, there was one. There was one, Mona Mona Wagner. Um, so you know, I got to watch watch her and and her management style and her leadership style. Um, but I did move up pretty pretty quickly, and and um, you know, it wasn't often, but but every once in a while, when when we were at you know uh, an engineer, you know, just a engineering offsite talking about you know just strategic stuff, you know, I'd look around and. You know, it, it would occur to me that, you know, man, I'm, a, I'm the only female here. Um, but for, for the most part, you know, for me, I didn't necessarily want to be known as, you know, female engineer or selected because I was a female. You know, I wanted to be be there because they they I, I was credible and, and, and they had confidence in me. But when I look, you know, across, you know, even just that middle management group, you know, I do see a lot more diversity and you know that that's a good thing um you know and 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 really in order to you know continue moving that diversity up of the chain you know we've just got to keep that that pipeline of of solid qualified candidates that that can continue to progress in their career and from an engineering side you know that that you know target of diversity you know doesn't start when when we hire somebody you know it starts back in you know k through six you know, and getting kids, you know, excited about engineering. So, you know, it all, you know, all comes together uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's a generational investment. We had a conversation years back and you told me that there was some people that came to visit your school. I think you said it was middle school, junior high, high school. And, and that was the, the first inkling you had about this engineering stuff. So, can you talk about the importance of of doing those of those types of events in terms of STEM, of talking to young people about STEM or exposing them to 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 STEM? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was um, it was a, a group of engineers from Pantex in in Amarillo, Texas, that uh, you know caused me to to think maybe I want to be an engineer. My mom was a school teacher. My dad worked for the railroad. Nobody in my family. What uh, was an engineer? So it was something that that was new to me, and and I don't know those people. They don't know me. But that hour of time that they spent in in that high school sophomore chemistry class, uh, you know, just had a an everlasting impact on on my career and in my life. And so you know, for me, um, it, it's important when I look back to to give back, uh, which is why some of that STEM. Um, is is very important to me, whether it's being a, a virtual judge on a science fair, Army e-cyber mission is going on right now. They also need virtual judges, even to, to the point of uh, we have these local market days and through the Lions Club over the weekend, I'll, I'll work and I get to donate my time. And they say, where do you want to donate your hours? Well, it you know, it happens to, to be that the, the local high school here has a, a robotics program. So I donate my hours to, to give them access to, to grants. 
So little stuff like that, um, you know, you just never know if if you can make an impact on on somebody that you know you'll you'll never know. When you were in when you were in school, you were you a junior or senior when you had your your first child? Oh, in college, I yeah. I, I had one more year of of school in college when when Lincoln was born. How did you balance that between being a, a, a young mother um, and 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 were you already an intern at that point for the Corps or? No, I, I was a, a teaching assistant. So I had started in, in school and I worked uh, at a department store in, in the customer service department. So I, I, I know how to wrap gifts still to this day because of, <laughs> because of all that time. Uh, and then about my, uh, maybe it I've was got a video junior. idea now. I've got a video idea. <laughs> We're going to teach people <laughs> yeah. how, to, how to wrap gifts. I'm how sorry, to wrap gifts. Continue. I can make one heck of a bow. I bet. Yeah. So, but but then about my end of my sophomore, going into my junior year is is when I had the chance to to be a teaching assistant for a couple of classes there um, at, at the school. So at that point, I, I felt more like a traditional student, spent more time uh, on the school campus, um, and so I was still a teaching assistant when when my daughter was born. So if if you look at you know baby books. I've got, you know, a 12 inch stack of papers that, that I've just graded in the background. And, and she was, uh, she was about, oh, um, eight months old when, when I started with, with the core and, and still had another semester, semester of work. So, you know, the good thing with the core is I could still uh, work full time, get benefits, finish school and, and just really have the chance to to take care of of my family. Um, the balance, I I don't know how I did it. I obviously had way more energy than than I do today, but you know it just for me it, it took a village. You know those those professors that you know I I was a teaching assistant for. They were very supportive, and then also so the core given given me a chance. And before before I went to work for the core, the the only thing I knew. About the core was the big brown signs that that we drive by on the way way to the boat ramp. So it opened my eyes to a lot of the different things the Corps of Engineers does that a lot of people just don't know about. Were you were you working at a project office doing like resident resident office type work at the time as the intern? Were you assisting with that, or were you working out of the headquarters, out of the district headquarters? A little bit, a little bit of both. Um, so once I finished. Uh, my degree, I'd, I'd stayed in in really the, it was really, it, let me think back, the environmental group is where I started. And so that's that's where I worked a lot of the time until I, I graduated. And then the benefits of the core with being an intern is you get to spend three, you know, three to four months really rotating uh, around and not just learning about what, what each of the, the different you know, organizations within the core, what they do, but, but also getting, getting to meet people. Um, no, I, I was in the resident office, uh, you know, when, when my son was born, uh, I still remember, uh, it was summer and, and there was a lot of, uh, operation and maintenance projects at, at the district. They were like, Oh, what are we going to do with her? And I'm like, you're not going to treat me any different. Um, I, I want to be out, you know, doing what, what you would have assigned me anyway. And I still remember walking next to the, the asphalt Jersey spreader, uh, working those, working those O and M projects. So good, good time. Good experience. Uh, what, what lake was that? What resident office were, were you at? 
the Tulsa, the Tulsa resident office. Oh, okay. Okay. Spent a lot of time at Afton, Afton Landing and Spaniard Creek. <laughs> uh, that internship. So you said, you said that your, your, your mother was a, a teacher and your father worked for the railroad. Is that correct? Um, yes. So you probably weren't exposed to a whole lot of construction sites and being an engineering major, it's kind of, especially in civil works, right? It's kind of important to get some experience on those construction sites to see that world. It was that one of those benefits too, in terms of professional development that the internship provided work that experience with an actual construction site or jobs. I'm not sure how they do it for engineering majors, but. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a, you know, typically a, a young engineer would rotate through through a resident office, and the resident offices have a lot of, of a lot of engineers too within within their office. Now every intern needs the experience of showing up on a construction site in a brand new pair of steel toe boots, so they get made fun of. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right it's, a, it's like like showing up for those hash runs with the uh, I I ran this five k shirt or whatever. Yeah. um what what advice so when what advice would you have for young people who are who are looking into engineering maybe or who might want to consider engineering as a as a field if if they're considering engineering you know do do the research there's you just a lot of different facets of of engineering when i started i wanted to be an environmental engineer and, and save the world and I'm working, you know, contract acquisition strategies, which I love, and it, it just doesn't even feel like like work. So it, it changes once you you get more familiar. Um, you know, the mentorship we talked about. You know, you start early, building building your network and and having people that that you can ask questions um, to, and and that doesn't stop. You know, people I went to school with, people I was uh, an intern with. You know, we've we've all had our careers and, and, and progressed into into what we do today. But you know, a lot of those are still my go-to people, my phone of friends uh, when I do need need advice. And then, you know, it, whatever people have as far as an impact on you know whether it's engineering or technology. I mean, we're building phenomenal geospatial information systems (GIS) platforms that that are outward facing on these public websites that are almost like a video game where we can, you know, use that to help educate you know, our stakeholders and, and the public as far as what we're doing. So it's not just engineering, it's it's technology and, and even the construction side. Um, but but just to give back, uh, your time is 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 precious and, and what time people can give to give back to, you know, that K through six or that that high school generation that that may not through their family be, be exposed and you give them that exposure and you never know what, you know, what impact you may have that you just don't know about. As an engineer, what, what is the majority of your day? You kind of hinted at the the thing you're doing with contract acquisition and, and those areas. But I, I think, I think we, you said before when we spoke that you probably spend more time doing addition than you do high level math. What, what type of, what type of, what is a day like for you in, in your job? So, so yeah, I used to when um, when talking to to making trips out to the schools and and joking with the kids, I, I'd ask them, you know, hey, what kind of what kind of math do you think I do? 
you know, day in and day out. And they would say, oh, calculus. And anyway, so yeah, addition and subtraction is it. So a lot of it is, um, you know, just, just taking a look at the policies, challenging them, um, you know, developing strategies, um, working with industry, getting their feedback. Last week, I was at a market research fair in, in San Antonio. The last couple of days, uh, I was down in uh, Galveston uh, on a couple of day industry day there, just really talking about what we're doing, some changes we're thinking about. We want your feedback. Uh, but just again, it, it, it they traces back to, you know, some of the insight I gained in private industry, letting them see a little bit behind the curtain, letting them know what, what we know. Um, and then also this, this market volatility, you know, how, how we change our strategies that continue to make uh, businesses want to go after these, these core uh, opportunities and, and just working with the teams and, and making it not so overwhelming you know if, if they want to consider it then it's it's helping them with here's what you got to do here's here's some consideration to where it's just like nope we're just going to do what we've always done it's it's easier so that that's what a typical day uh, is in in my world Thank you for joining us for Corestruction. Corestruction is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode of Corestruction was brought to you by Southwestern Division Engineering and Construction. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.